Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. Well, let's read the passage of Scripture that uh, I'm going to bring this morning, and then we can take it uh, from there. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high, lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, this is Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard of the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And uh, God will bless uh, the reading of his word. I think in the 13 years that... It's a great... I love that. Um, I think in the 13 years of the Freedom Center... I think I've probably preached a message, maybe the same message twice, in the sense of uh, I prepare each week a different message for each Sunday, unless I've got a Sunday off, which when I have a Sunday off, it's like, whoa, because it gives me maybe during my working week an extra 20 hours that I don't have. Uh, normally, and I don't carry the weight of what I'm about to bring on a Sunday. But very occasionally, I can only think maybe once, maybe the very most twice, I've preached a message twice in the sense of I've taken something. Uh, some, some ministers, let, let you into a secret, some ministers stay a number of years at a church and then they move from that church maybe after six or seven years and they take their stock of preachers and they move to another church in another city and go back to one, number one, bring out number one, number two, number three, number four, and work their way through seven years of preaching that they did in another city. Um, I am in no way in favor uh, of that uh, because I think God's word is revealed and manifested in different ways in different times, and you need to bring a word uh, to your community, to your fellowship for that moment in time. Um, But I felt led to bring this word, which I haven't called it what I called it before. I've called it this morning, Where Royalty Sits. Maybe one or two of you, which I 
well, maybe it's a test this morning to see if you can remember one or two of the illustrations that I've used before. I have changed it quite dramatically, so you won't remember too much of it, but I'm just telling you that so you, uh, you know where royalty sits, which we know is the throne of God. We're living in crazy, dark days. I don't know whether how much of the news you listen to. It just seems when I'm listening to the news or tune into the news, whether it be on Twitter or Facebook or Sky or BBC or Radio 4 or Radio 2 or whatever, you just have no idea what you are going to be hit with next. Just ridiculously dark days. And it's not just dark days in the, uh, in the world, if you want to call it that. It's dark days in the church too. I read something just this morning about how many uh, child abuse cases are referred from the church community to the police on a regular basis where people are being followed up for child abuse. Not just in the Christian church, but in the mosques and in the other temples from other religions, they are reporting child abuse. We live in hugely uh, dark days. We live in days where there is no certainty. When I was brought up in Sunday school or with a mother and a father, a grandfather and a grandmother, everything was certain. You knew where your next meal was coming from. You knew when that meal would be. You knew your grandpa and your grandma would come around for tea on a Sunday. You knew the church would be at a certain time. You knew the pastor would be there. You knew everything was, it seemed to me as a little boy, certain. School holidays, winter, summer, Easter, whatever it was, you just everything was so certain. But we live in days now, you just don't know what's going to come. We live in dark, dark days. And we live in a day where it is more and more essential for a Christian, and for non-Christians, to be aware of their God. And it seems like everything in the world is trying to force us into a position where we get disconnected from God. And we're full of fear and full of apprehension of what's going to happen next with governments and the EECs and European unions and global trade and all the other junk that gets filled into our minds on a daily basis. So we need to begin to realize that how we see God is vital. How we perceive God. So if I was to ask you, uh, when you imagine God... When you pray to God, what's your perception of who God is and where he is and what he looks like? Do you just pray out there somewhere? Or do you have a particular mental picture in mind? I can see you all thinking. Um, Do you have a mental picture in your mind of where he is, who he is, how he is? What he looks like in your eyes. How do you perceive him? God is a God of the unchanging. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, The Lord 
either, sorry, I, the Lord, do not change. But we have different experiences of God. So if I went round the room this morning and said, tell me your experience of God and how you perceive him and how he relates to you and how you picture him in your mind when you pray and what he's done for you. If I went around the whole room, I would get amazing stories and pictures and illustrations of how we all see God in totally different ways. I'm just realizing as I'm looking at my notes how my eyesight has changed in a number of years ago. <laughs> well, I can't actually read what, what I've written. Um, because we come at him from different angles, depending on your personality. We'll actually decide that the way we see God is the only way you could possibly see God. And that's often why we have certain denominations in the Christian church. Because a denomination has set out a list of beliefs, and usually it's down to the way they see God. So I was brought up in the Christian Brethren, which was very much a sort of male-orientated church in the sense of they firmly believed what uh, Paul said about women being silent in the church, and they particularly were silent in the church. All the men said, no, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, they saw God in that way, as a very much a male-dominated character. How do you see God? How do we recognize him? How do we interact with him? Because if we went round the room and we all gave our story of how we relate to God, you would find one thing to be true. You would suddenly realize that people are having a different relationship with your God from, from what you're having. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been in a relationship with someone, professionally, privately, and your relationship is on one level a certain sort of wavelength, and all the time that you interact with them, it's on that wavelength. And they act and they communicate to you on that wavelength, in that stream, in that way that you have got used to. And then later, you see that same person in a different setting, in a different relationship, and you suddenly realize that person had a different attitude, different personality, different temperament from what you've ever experienced. You ever found that to be true? I remember when I was selling <clears throat> advertising when I was much, much younger. And going into a business, I think it was in Preston, and seeing a businessman who was extremely rich. Extremely rich. And... Uh, I think I can remember, particularly, because I like these cars, <laughs> a red Ferrari in the car park. And I thought, what a nice car. Actually, I saw somebody drive through when we were on holiday in Manicor, driving a red Ferrari around the little streets. I thought, he, he must have something to do with Rafa Nadal, because that's where he lives. <laughs> but I went into this car park, and there is the red Ferrari and other nice cars. I went into the offices, very plush, luxurious. And so eventually I was summoned into this big, big room office of his. I went in and sat down. 
And sometimes people give you a very small chair and they've got a very high chair just to let you know who you are and your place in the scheme of things. So I'm sitting in this uh, smallish chair feeling very vulnerable, very small. And this austere, austere man is very strict, knew what he wanted, didn't suffer fools gladly. And I remember me sitting there thinking, uh, how am I going to get out of here with some sort of deal that is pleasing to me when he is so austere and strong and opinionated and, and knew what he wanted and where he wanted it and how he wanted it and everything else? He had a face that would sink a thousand ships, as it were. I started to speak to him about his advertising and the, the budget and the money and the atmosphere was getting worse and worse and any increase for the following year was becoming more and more distant in my mind. So here I am sitting in front of this very austere businessman who obviously had loads of money but was not going to be giving me <laughs> any of it. <laughs> and uh, sitting there thinking this is a terrible atmosphere. He is so sort of just... Uh, officious and not human in one sense at all. So I'm sitting there thinking this is a very difficult hour I'm going to be spending here. And people would come in, sorry, people would knock at the door and he would wait. It felt like for 30 seconds, it probably maybe 15 or 20 seconds, and then he would say, come, you see. I'm thinking, I'd like to work for this guy. And uh, they'd come in, and yeah, Mr. Such and Such, and this is it. Right, thank you. And out they went. And uh, I'm thinking, this is awful. So this meeting is going on, and then suddenly the door bursts open. No knocking, no waiting. In comes this pretty 18, 20-year-old girl, walks straight in, round the back of his desk, big, big desk he had, sits down on his knee and puts their arms around him. And suddenly, this officious guy, the whole atmosphere changes. His face changes totally. Suddenly, his face just lit up. And suddenly, he became a different person. I'm thinking to myself, what changed? What changed was the relationship that she had with him. It wasn't his girlfriend. It was his daughter. And <laughs> I can see some of you thinking, who is this girl? The man's having an affair. Who is this, who is this company? Give me the name. <laughs> and <laughs> I suddenly saw a different person. She brought something out of that guy that I, though I would never have done what she did, but I, that I could never have done, obviously. <laughs> I, she brought out a different personality, a different temperament, a different attitude. And I was, I was getting this austere man, and the staff was getting this austere man. But this girl, because she had a relationship with him, suddenly was, brought out somebody totally different. The atmosphere changed because there was a different relationship that came into the room. Could it be... The relationship we have with Almighty God is not the only experience you can have with Almighty God. 
Could it be that our personality, our type, our experience is not the only personality type experience that God has with other people? Could it be that God, other people bring out a side of God that we don't see? That someone else down the road, somebody else in the next seat from you, sees regularly a side of God that you never see? In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has an experience of God, a vision of God that he had never had before. His faith was maturing, it was growing, and he saw a different side of God. If your picture of God is strict and regimented and solid, as I saw this businessman, maybe it's time you were introduced to the loving heart of God that other people have seen. A God, as it were, who you could sit on his knee and he gives you a tickle. Or is you thinking, hang on, God doesn't do that. Can't sit in God's lap. And he would love on you and let you sit on his knee just like the girl who came into the room. Or if your picture of God is the exact opposite of that, is a picture of God of a loving father, he'll just forgive you and forgive you and forgive you and forgive you. A father where you have experienced his grace and his love over and over again, and you think God's just somebody in heaven ready to pay off your next sin and your next debt so you can do anything and everything that you want because God's going to forgive me anyway. Maybe you need to see a side of God that one or two others have seen. A God who abhors sin with a passion. And that sin is a pain to him because it nailed his son to the cross. Paul said in Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, he says, For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. On a throne. And that's what I particularly want to speak on this morning. Because whatever whatever angle we are coming to God from, whatever we are going through in life, whatever we are going through, God is on his throne. Whatever illness you're facing, whatever your financial situation is, whoever's left and abandoned you, whatever you're going to face tomorrow, Monday morning, let it be known, God is on his throne. He's on his throne. And I want to pick out three reasons why God is on his throne. Why is he there? Why is he on his throne? Because that's where royalty sits, first of all, isn't it? But it's because of, number one, because of who he is. God is royalty. See, our queen sits on the throne in particular situations. But in our case in the UK, we don't have a particularly great illustration of royalty because we have a a royalty that is uh, put in a place but doesn't have any power. The power is with the government. Her main role 
is to give advice and to give government a sense of community. So our queen, I think, has had, is it something like 15 prime ministers, I think, if I'm right in saying that, 15 prime ministers. So she knows what they face right from the word go. That's a great advice to be able to walk in as a prime minister into a room and somebody knows what you're going through, where you've been, and everything that you say to that lady is totally and utterly confidential. He's on the throne because of who he is. It's the throne of the universe. He's an awesome God. He's nobody's puppet. And from that throne, he rules and he reigns. We know he's the Alpha, he's the Omega, he's the beginning and the end. But he's on a throne. And when Isaiah saw the vision on the throne, he saw the Lord of Lords, he saw the King of Kings, he saw the Prince of Peace, he saw the Mighty God, he saw the Everlasting Father, Counselor, Wonderful. He saw other things too, all on the throne, the Holy One, the Lord of all. He saw the Messiah. He saw the Savior. He saw the Lord of Lords. He saw the Lamb of God. He saw the Prince of Life. He saw Lord God Almighty. He saw the line of the tribe of Judah. He saw the root of David. Look at the aspects, the character, the sides of God that often we don't see. He saw the author and destined finisher of our faith. He saw the dayspring. He saw the Lord of all. He saw the shepherd. He saw the bishop of our souls. He saw the advocate. He saw Emmanuel, God with us. He saw the chief cornerstone. He saw the righteous judge. He saw the morning star. Do you see the different aspects of God? that often we don't relate to. He saw the son of righteousness. He saw this chief shepherd. He saw the horn of salvation. He saw the governor. He saw the begotten son of God. He saw the exalted one. He saw the king of the Jews. He saw our brother. He saw the rock of my salvation. He saw the lifter of my head. He saw the Lord, my rock. He saw Christ, the son of the living God. He saw the one that is faithful and the one that is true. He saw the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. He saw the redeemer. He saw the Lord our Savior. He saw the Holy One of Israel. He saw our friend. He saw the Word of God. Do you see how almighty your God is? He saw the King of Saints. He saw the Ancient of Days on his throne. And John in Revelation says, Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse standing there. And the one sitting on the horse was named Faithful and True, the one who justly punishes and makes war. His eyes were like flames and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on his forehead and only he knew its meaning. He was clothed with garments dipped in blood and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in finest linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horses. In his mouth he had a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He ruled them with an iron grip, and he trod the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. On his robe and thigh was written this title, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's our God. That's who we relate to. That's who we worship. That's who we connect to. That's who is our Abba, Father, Daddy. That's who He is. And He will reign for all time over all people. And He's on His throne. 
He is royalty. That's why he's on the throne. That's the first reason. Second reason is he's on the throne because of what he has done. Romans 5 describes what he has done. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why he's on the throne, because of what he has done. In our lives, people that you give recognition to, it's often because of what they have done for you in the past. We do it on a Sunday morning. We do it during the week at business or work or in families. Someone who's been there for you, helped you, encouraged you, you give them honor because of what they have done. God is on his throne partly because of what he has done. God the Father releasing the Son, the Son being willing to go, the Holy Spirit who is with us now continually since Pentecost. Ephesians 1 says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made made us alive with Christ, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places. He seats us on a throne. Isn't that amazing? The coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You have no idea, I have no idea of the depth of the love that God has for us. The depth of what he's done for us. Our story is that where is a rags to riches story. And we cannot really dare to believe what God has done for us. And one day, either the Lord comes back or we die, it is revealed to us what God has done for us. That when he was on the throne, what he was doing in your life, in my life, in our family life, in our church life, that nothing happens by mistake. Uh, That verse said before, at just the right time. And so often in our lives, in our situations, God acts at just the right time. Didn't get a phone call from home base in Bolton six months ago, do you want some furniture? Didn't get it six months past after we moved into the building. I got it just before we moved into the building. Would you like some furniture? There's some bits missing. And my answer to every question that somebody asked me like is yes. So I had a van and had to go twice to, to fill it up to bring it back here. And then Susan was saying hundreds and thousands of pounds of furniture given at just the right time. God acts at just the right time for you and for me. It's a gift from God. 
And Jesus, when he died, he cries, it is finished. And then after showing himself, he went and he sat down on his throne. What's finished? Our past is finished. Our pain's finished. Our miracles come. Our price has been paid. Hebrews 10, 12. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It was a completed work. Done. 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 Paid. Finished. That's why he sits where he sits. Because of what he's done. There's no more need for action. He doesn't have to come and die again because of what you did yesterday or last week. It wasn't like, oh, I missed him. I missed her. I missed, oh, I didn't realize what they would get up to. I didn't realize how unfaithful they would be. I didn't realize how disloyal they would be. I'm going to have to get back to the cross and, and, and suffer again. No. He sat down. And often... In our prayers, we're trying to get him to stand back up again because we think he hasn't covered what we have done. He's covered it. He's covered it. The work is complete. It is finished. What's finished? The sacrificing has finished. No more. We don't bring sheep in here, lambs in here, and sacrifice them on an altar. Thank the Lord. Literally, thank the Lord. Because he was the Lamb of God. Because of what he's done, he sits on a throne. Third reason he's sitting on his throne, because of what he will do. I wonder if I asked you what you're waiting for, for God to do. If only God would just do this. I wish God would hurry up. I wish he would just do it. Why is he not doing it? It would be an enormous list of things that we are waiting for, for God to do. He's sitting on his throne because of what he will do. And the biggest enemy to direction and guidance in the Christian life is what? A lack of patience. You see it so often. You see it in business. You see it in church life. You see it in governments. You see it in nations. You see it in families. People having a lack. Oh, I'm not hanging around here anymore because you'll never get a building. I'm not hanging around here because you'll never come through. I'll never, I'm not hanging around here anymore because of this, this, or this, or this, or this. A lack of patience. We never, oh sorry, not never. Many times we don't hang around long enough for God to come through. Do we? He said, I'll, I'll just do this myself. I'll make this happen. Ask Abraham and look at his story. If just in case God doesn't do it, I'll do something myself. And we all know, don't we, that we, when we take matters into our own hands, then we're opening up a whole can of worms that either reveal then or a later date that we see come into play. We have a lack of patience for what God is doing because we live in a microwave world. I can't be bothered switching on the gas, lighting the flame. I can't be bothered putting it in a pan and waiting. Let's just shove it in the microwave. I'll be ready in 30 seconds. 
That's what we want. So you stand in the coffee at Star- in the queue at Starbucks and you think, oh, for goodness sake, will these people get out of my way? One businessman said to me, do you know, one day I went into a fish and chip shop and there was about five people in front of me and I said to the five people in front of me, I'll pay for all your fish and chips if I can go to the top of the queue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time to wait. We live in a world like that. Don't we? We live in a world where we cannot get out of the way. I'm coming through. You know, that sort of world. We, we have a lack of patience. And we struggle to submit to what God is doing in our lives. If we're honest, we struggle to submit to our circumstances and our situations and what we don't understand. We'll submit to things in, in, in verses of Scripture. Yeah, I surrender all, we sing or whatever else. And we, but we, in our everyday life, we struggle to submit. Let me read a story to you. About 100 years ago, a writer described China, and he met a Chinese Christian named Wang Ming Dao. <laughs> Wang Mingdao had been persecuted many times and kept in solitary confinement for his faith. Wang says, when I was put in jail, I was devastated. I was 60 years old, at the peak of my powers. I was a well-known evangelist and and I wished to hold crusades all over China. I was an author. I wanted to write more books. I was a preacher. I wanted to study my Bible and write more sermons. But instead of serving God in all those ways, I found myself sitting alone in a a dark cell. I couldn't use the time to write more books because they didn't give me pen or paper. I couldn't study my Bible and produce more sermons because they had taken my Bible away. I had no one even to witness to as the jailer for years just pushed my meals through a hatch. Picture this scene. He said, everything that had given me meaning as a Christian worker had been taken away from me and I had absolutely nothing to do. And then he stopped and his eyes moistened again. Nothing to do, he said, except to get to know God. For 20 years, underlined, for 20 years, some of us haven't been married 20 years, For 20 years, that was his greatest relationship. He says, it was the greatest relationship I've ever known, but the cell was my means. He ended with this parting shot. You need to build yourself a cell so that you can do for yourself what persecution did for me. It simplified my life and it got me to know God. He wanted to write books, he wanted to hold crusades, he wanted to write sermons, he wanted to preach more, he wanted to study his Bible more. All wonderful, great things to do, but God had another idea. And he was left in a cell to get to know God for 20 years. And he says, it was the greatest relationship that I have ever, ever known. Because he began to see different sides of God that he hadn't seen in his life before. Maybe what God's doing in your life or in my life is hard, it's painful. Maybe it's not what you'd have picked. Maybe it's not what you'd have thought that you'd have been doing at your age. Maybe it feels like a cell. But maybe God's plan for your cell is for you to begin to get to know him. 
It's a setup for you to know him, for you to know him better, for you to have a different relationship with him, to sh- for you to see a different side of his character. Like the girl who brazes in and sits on the guy who was scaring me to death, sitting on his knee and giving him a cuddle, and he, she was tickling him. There is different aspects, different sides of God that we need to experience. And maybe, Miss, maybe I'm going through, you're going through what you're going through because God is trying to draw you to himself. The job, the debt, the family, the situation, the cross that you bear, the pain, the illness, whatever it is, it's drawing you, it's pushing you towards Jesus, drawing you towards God. Make me more like Jesus, we ask in his everyday prayer. But often the way he does it is not the way that we particularly enjoy. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is not like earth. Heaven has a different agenda to my agenda. Different timetables, different attitudes, different outlooks, different priorities totally different from our communities, families, workplaces, cities, nations. But God's the best guide, the best pilot, the best captain, the best skipper to take us where he wants us to go. A.W. Toza had a practice that he would go into his study in the morning. He'd put on a set of overalls and take an old mat that he had bought and threw it on the ground of his study. He would lock the door. He would lie prostrate on his face and on his stomach for the whole morning, thinking on God. Some people call that soaking. Some call it waiting. Some call it fellowshipping. We just need to do it. It doesn't matter what you call it. We need to experience different sides of God that are available to us that we're not seeing. God as your buddy, as your friend, as your loving daddy, as a king on a throne, as a, as a workout uh, guy who gives you instructions how to keep fit, all sorts of different sides of God that we know nothing on of him at all. We need to get to know him. One of my desires is that we, as we move into a new building in the next month or two months, whenever it is, um, is that as a church, as a fellowship, as a community, we get to know God at a much deeper level. That we begin to see different aspects of God that we have never seen before. So that's why as a vision team, we're going off to Hillsong Conference this week to experience a side of what God's doing with that style of churches. Do you understand? We need to experience, some of us who are used to noise, 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 need to experience solitude and, and peace. Some of us who are used to a lot of peace need to experience having a party with God. God loves parties. 
Jesus' first miracle was at a party. Changed the water into wine. That's quite a party. Do you understand? Wine runs out. Jesus turns the water into wine. God loves parties. We need to see different aspects. Does going into a different church from our church threaten you? Or can you sit there and experience something totally different and see God moving in the silence, in the noise, in the darkness, in the light, whatever way, in the songs, in the prayers, in the repetition, or you never know what's going to happen? Can you look for God in that? Because he's there, revealing himself. He's on his throne this morning because of who he is, because of what he's done, because of what he will do. You see, the voice of God cried out, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. And as we get alone with our royal God in the throne room, if you like to put it that way, he will give you jobs to do. Who's going to go? Who's going to be? Who's going to act? And we need to be crying out, Lord, send me. Send me back into that job with the right attitude. Send me back into that family with the right character. Send me back into that situation. You're not in that situation by mistake. You're a sent person. All because God's on his throne. Hebrews 4, 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. That's what happened with that girl walking into that room. I was scared stiff as a young salesman from that chap behind this huge intimidating deck. But God's word says to us as Christians, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, boldness, so that we might receive mercy and find grace, find undeserved favor to help us in our time of need. Somebody put up on Facebook the other day there. It was, it was Nate and Megan who was coming to be in person. Megan put up what her sister-in-law put up. And her sister-in-law said, On the darkest days when I feel inadequate, unloved, and unworthy, I remember whose daughter I am, and I straighten my crown. We know who we are. We're sons and daughters of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. So adjust your gait. Adjust your attitude. Adjust your outlook and realize I need to adjust my crown because God's placed me here. God says you'll give me the grace for my situation. Isn't that wonderful? Amazing. So all the time with the building and everything else, all of the stress and tension and everything else, I know one thing for sure. God, Emmanuel, God is with us. We will not fail. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your grace, Lord, how good you are to us. 
Thank you, Lord, that other people in this room have seen aspects of you that I've never seen. I've seen aspects of you that they have never seen. Help us, Lord, to put ourselves in a place where we might begin to realize that this God that we know in a limited way can be known in a much bigger way, in an expansive way. Whatever cell we are in, Lord Jesus, the cell of our circumstances, the cell of our situations, the cell of our workplace, the cell of our health, the cell of our whatever that is, Lord Jesus. Draw us closer to you. Help us realize you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are on the throne. It's not a king or queen down here. It's not a prime minister. It's not a president. It's not a boss. It's not a ruler. It's not a dictator. It's God Almighty. He's on the throne. We don't look to the news. We don't look to the newspapers. We don't look to Twitter. We don't look to Facebook. We don't look anywhere but to your word and what you're doing, Lord Jesus. We trust you. Help us to honor you. Give you the glory. Give you the honor as you work through our lives. Father, put your smile upon us. Help us to realize the relationship you've given us with you. We are your sons. We are your daughters. We are not illegitimate. Help us to live as princes, princesses, because of what you've done. Give us hope. Help us to live in security. Be with us, Lord Jesus. Love on us, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, someone this morning, Lord Jesus, draw close to them. Make them aware of you. Whisper in their ear, I love you. I'm looking after you. I'm looking out for you. I'll always be there for you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. People might fall at your right and at your left. I will never, ever leave you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence this morning. And as people reach out to you this morning, Lord Jesus, from whatever they're coming from, whatever their situation is, whatever their pain or their pleasure is, Lord Jesus, whatever their problem is, Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to them, Holy Spirit. Touch bodies that need healing. Touch financial situations, Lord. Thank you that you are a healer, that you are our supplier. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for speaking into lives. Everyone's heard the same word but many will take it in a different way. 
Help us to apply it to our lives. Give us encouragement. Build us up as we spend time with you. For we ask it in your lovely name. Amen. Let's just stand as we take a song. I want to tell you a story of a man who I found um, while I was away on holiday. He had died, a man called uh, Jim Graham. He was a man of God. Do you know when you go into someone's presence and you realize just uh, how significant someone is? talked about, if you weren't in the room, I talked before about visiting this businessman who was very austere and, and so forth. When I walked into Jim Graham's office, with Ray, my brother-in-law, many years ago, I felt like I was the most important person in the whole world. And uh, he was the pastor of a church called Gold Hill down in Buckinghamshire, Baptist Church. A lovely, godly man from Dunfermline in Fife. And he went to be with the Lord just about 10 days ago. Uh, and he said this, and I just, that's why I was telling you his story. Uh, one, of the, one of the pioneers of the charismatic movement in, uh, in the UK. He says, Never lower the revelation of Scripture to the level of your experience. We're talking this morning about other people seeing God in a different way that we have never seen. Never lower the revelation of Scripture to the level of your experience. And then he was asked, how do you see the church in the UK? And you can see this on YouTube if you look up his name, Jim Graham. These are some of the things he says about the church in the UK. He says, many church members have been Christianized rather than being converted. Christianized rather than having a deep conversion through Jesus Christ. He says, many have been justified by thought rather than by faith. He says, many have embraced religion rather than relationship, which has resulted in our culture being challenged but not changed. He says, there's a casualness about the godless. How we see people in our street. Does your heart weep that one day, one day they will die and go to hell. Does that challenge us as Christians? He says, he says there's a casualness about that. He says there's a gap between our theology and our experience. We believe this, we believe that, we believe the next thing, but we do not experience it. And he says our worship has become soulish rather than spiritual. So they sing, we, song, we sing the songs we like. We have the music we like. But in all of that, the lights and everything else, we forget to worship. I thought that was quite an indictment, if you like, of the Christian church in the UK. That after genera- a generation and decades of being a church pastor, of serving the church nationally... He says, this is, how I, this is how I see it. This is how it is. 
all my prayer freedom center is that we counteract that that we do have a passion for people who don't know Jesus that there is no gap between our thoughts and our theology than our experience that we challenge our communities but we also change our communities that our worship isn't soulish but it's spiritual that's a challenge isn't it it's not soulish oh I like this band I like that song that makes me feel good it's not soulish but it's spirituals spiritual and actually that we don't Christianize people we see people converted changed actually changed that they don't know, just learn the rules of the house or oh, we stand we sit we pray we give but actually we get people converted through our ministry so Father I thank you for this morning thank you for your love thank you, thank you for your presence that's here thank you for your grace thank you that you are on the throne And Satan is off the throne. You are on the throne. You're the King of kings and you're the Lord of lords. Help us to get to know you better in a different way. Help us to reach out to you in a different way this week. Be with us. Be on us. Be with us. Abide with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. For more information about our church or to access more of our resources, please visit thefreedomcenter.com.